All right, let's jump right into it. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. Today, I want to talk about everything nutrition and kind of following up a little bit more on that masterclass that we had a couple weeks ago and also the 21-day challenge that we started this Monday. Um, and to give you guys kind of a Spark Notes version of the two-hour masterclass that we had and also to give you kind of to finish up everything with the structure behind how we actually ran the challenge, right? So when it comes to nutrition overall, um, just to get right kind of into it, there's there's always the conversation around calories and macronutrients, which tends to be majority of the focus, but there's also little nuances like how you're eating, the time of your eating, little fasting windows, like these other little kind of details that make a bigger difference and actually help build systems to keep you in a deficit or keep you in whatever the goal might be, right? So for today's conversation, I really do want to keep this more focused around weight loss and fat loss because that tends to be 90 plus percent of the people that we work with. So for those that maybe want to gain some weight or have a little bit more kind of specific details on composition changes and things like that, that's not going to be so much the conversation today. We're going to be focused more on the majority here. So to jump right into the calorie part, remember this. From a longevity standpoint, from a health standpoint, from a weight loss standpoint, from a fat loss standpoint, we do want to be in a deficit. So the overarching kind of thing that we want to come back to is, yes, calories need to be in some level of a deficit for those goals to be met. Now, maintenance and a surplus are going to provide different goals. I personally try to eat closer to my maintenance because I don't really want to be losing weight, but I also don't really care to gain weight because I also want to reap some of those health benefits, right? So you get majority of that around the maintenance and deficit area, right? If you're someone that's trying to gain weight for a sport or a specific event or just for, you know, own aesthetic goals, yes, being in a surplus needs to be kind of your overarching goal too. So for today, we're going to be focused around how do we create systems that keep us in a deficit more importantly, right? So the calorie in, calorie out model um, tends to only focus on calories, which I I agree with on the overarching concept and principle of it, but we need to remember there's so many other details that go into it, right? Like 2,000 calories of crap food versus 2,000 calories of healthy food are two completely different reactions on how your body actually processes those calories. Um, but more importantly is we want to find systems that make it easy and sustainable to maintain the deficit over time because that is generally going to be the hardest thing for most people. Losing weight's not rocket science. Staying consistent with it, that's the hard part. So just to kind of before I go into this next chapter, when you think about calories and the deficit that we need to create, we want the deficit to actually be pretty slim, right? So just to make something up, if I have 3,000 calories a day as my total energy expenditure, I don't want to be 20 or 25%. That's going to be kind of, I, sorry, I do want to be 20 or 25% max under that number, right? Now, a reason why I make that max is like, let's just make something up. Let's say you're burning 3,000 calories, like I just said, and you eat 1,500 calories a day. What happens when you create a huge deficit is your basal metabolic rate, your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, all the other things that kind of are part of your total daily energy expenditure are going to start to slow down. And the reason why you're slowing down is your body's going, well, shit, you're not giving me enough energy and food and nutrients. So what we're going to do to help mitigate this so we can actually kind of defend ourselves is we're just going to slow the whole thing down. And you'll see like little things like your energy is going to obviously dissipate first. You may be going to be twitching less. You're going to be blinking less. Like your body will do all these things that you won't even notice to actually reduce the energy expenditure overall. And we saw this with the case with Biggest Loser in the show when they did all the research on why these people were gaining the weight back after the show. And the reason why is because they dieted them so hard in such a strict deficit and trained them so much every day that when they went back to their lifestyle, they didn't go back to normal before the show, but maybe they went past a little bit more into a normal life than the biggest loser. And then their metabolism was so shot from the six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it was that when they went back to it, that metabolism dropped so low that even though they were just eating less than they normally were, it was still above the threshold of what their metabolic rate was. 
so the body ends up gaining weight back in most cases most people even gain more weight back so in order for us to prevent that from happening, we want to take this long-term sustainable approach and we do want to take the slow route there, right? As much as most people don't like hearing that, you really do want to take the slow route because it's the best thing overall for your health and the sustainability of those results, right? So second part that comes into the conversation is going to be macronutrients like protein, carbs, and fats. And I always like to add three more, which are going to be fiber, water, and alcohol. The composition of these meals like we were just talking about is going to be very important. When it comes to weight loss and it comes to health the one macronutrient that most people tend to be really 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 low on is going to be protein number two water tends to be an easy one number three is fiber so i always like to start with these three basic ones is let's focus on protein let's focus on fiber and let's focus on water um, when it comes to carbs and fats and alcohol these tend to be things that are pretty easy easy to over consume on so i tend not to put a lot of my effort on what we're adding um, to those areas because obviously most people are probably already in a surplus. So instead of taking a mentality of what am I removing, let's focus on more of what we're adding into the diet, right? Because it's just an easier mindset to kind of approach dieting and nutrition overall. And also when you look at kind of the thermic effect of food, you know, when you think about calories out, there's BMR, which is the basically the amount of calories your body burns at rest. There's non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is, you know, me talking to you guys, walking around day to day, things like that. Then there's exercise activity thermogenesis, which is dedicated exercise. And then there's TEF, which is the thermic effect of food. The thermic effect of food is basically saying that food has to pay a toll going through this digestive process. And every food, macronutrient composition-wise, has a different percentage of thermic effect on the body. Example, protein, 25 to 30%. Meaning, you have 100 calories of chicken breast, you're going to burn almost 30% of those calories just in digestion alone. So you technically are only net 70 on calories. Carbs are going to be anywhere from 8 to 12. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of variability in there between processed, ultra-refined foods or fibrous type of foods that are whole and natural. Um, and then fats are going to be 3 to 5%. So the composition of your meals is also going to dictate some of these deficits. So if you have someone that's eating 2,000 calories of majority of carbs and fats, you have someone that's eating a lot of carbs or um, protein and fiber, client B is actually going to lose more weight just because they're creating a deficit just alone by the foods that they've done, right? Or they're eating, right? Nothing by the exercise, nothing by anything else. It's just alone on the food, right? So when it comes to macros, yes, the importance of macronutrients and how you split up the composition of your percentages based off your body type, based off your goal are going to be really, really important, right? Because also remember this, everyone's macros should not be the same necessarily because there is different body types. Some people don't or they're not as insulin sensitive. So these are people that maybe need a little bit more protein and fat in the diet. Um, there's someone like myself that's a little bit more ectomorphic where I can take in more carbohydrates and be okay with it. So different body types are going to dictate percentages. But the one thing that does kind of tend to be a staple is protein, water, and fiber for me when I look at goals. And just protein and water alone, it's a pretty easy one to think about. Is protein generally an easy goal? The ceiling is going to be one gram per total body weight a pound, right? It's a total pound of body weight. Sorry, I'm saying that backwards. So if I'm 185 pounds, 185 grams of protein would be my ceiling. My uh, my bottom is going to be kind of my lean body mass, right? So if I'm working with somebody that's 200 pounds, they're 20% body fat. That means that 40 pounds of that weight is fat. So 160 would be lean body mass. That would be kind of my, my bottom floor of where I would start that person. So that person would be like 160 to 200 being their window. When it comes to water, half an ounce per pound. Right, So if I'm a 200-pound male, I'm having 100 ounces of water a day, and that's kind of my minimum goal. 
So those are just basic things and macros that we need to talk about, right? But I want to talk about more importantly today, like what do we talk about in the masterclass? And more importantly, what was the focus of the challenge? Like why did I do the challenge? Why did I do 21 days? And why did I pick kind of the focuses that we did? So when it comes to food, the one thing that I've learned over the years of really working a lot in the nutrition space and just studying a lot and researching a lot on that is when you look at the people that have been successful, yes, there has been people that have been successful in the keto world, the carnivore world, vegetarian world, the vegan world, like all these other things. There is results in all different areas of those, which is great, which is fantastic. And I try to look at what are the parallels because they're all, they're all different diets, right? Like what makes them all work in their own ways? And that's one thing about diets that I like to remind people is diets are great tools, right? They're great tools to get you to certain places, but they're not necessarily sustainable for majority of the people on them, right? And this is why most people that start a diet see a lot of success, but more importantly, after a year, a couple of years, even a couple of months for most people, all those results are gone, if not doubled back, right? So finding something sustainable. So that was kind of the thing that I kind of did over the years is like, let's find the parallels. Let's find the things that most of these people are kind of doing. First thing that I noticed, number one, was cooking more of your own food, right? Connecting to your own food by shopping it for it, prepping for it, and cooking it, um, I think was one of the probably the, the thing that I thought and saw was the most popular between everybody, right? And the reason why is when it comes to going to restaurants, when it comes to meal prep, when it comes to packaged foods, when it comes to foods that have barcodes and bags in them, they tend to be refined and processed and they have crap oils in them and the composition of the macronutrients and the nutrient density, more importantly, is all out of whack, right? But also there's kind of like a thing for me that there's kind of a mindset thing. Like when, when you, when you choose to take the easy route, that mindset kind of carries over to everywhere, right? Like we want to find things that get you to connect back to food because food is meant to be nourishing for the human body. Food is meant to be something that fuels every single process in the human biology. So we want to do things that are closest to nature as possible. And something that I said in the master class is like the farther we get off this path of nature, the harder it is for us to be able to kind of bring our health back to this place too, right? And the more we're going to depend on medicine, the more we're going to depend on doctors, the more we're going to depend on all these other things to counteract the symptoms that we've created in ourselves because we've fallen off the beaten path of what nature's provided. So when it comes to foods, here is the big focus of the nutrition and the masterclass or the challenge and the masterclass itself. Number one is eating more animal protein. Eat things that have walked, flown, and swam before and focus on the high, highest quality meats you can possibly get, right? So grass-fed, so wild-caught, so pasture-raised. Um, and also eating a little bit more nose-to-tail if we can, right? So eating other parts of the animal, so heart and kidney and liver and bone marrow and cartilage and all these other things that we can beat because like the, the animal itself has all the nutrients built into different parts of the animal, right? Now, that's not the easiest thing for most people, but for most of us, if we just start with muscle meat and we kind of make that a big focus, that's a great starting point. Second thing is produce, right? When we can focus more on produce, like vegetables and fruits, things that need sun and water to grow, if you were to just make the staple of those two things kind of your primary focus on your diet, like 80% of your diet was just literally animal protein and produce, it's really, really, really hard to screw up the diet, like it really is if you just were to focus fundamentally on – because if you think about it this way, all the animal protein and animal meats are going to have all the protein you need by far, right? They're, most of them are going to provide some level of fat and saturated fat and some healthy fats for you. Um, and then all the produce is going to provide all the fiber and carbohydrates that you would need from there. So in itself, when you look at produce and protein kind of being the overarching focus of today's conversation – 
if you make majority of your meals built around that, it's a really, really easy way to kind of stay successful versus always relying on packaged foods and meal prep and restaurants because all these little things that you're not paying attention to, such as the oils or how it's prepped or um, the convenience of just having things that are processed and refined and the grains and all that good stuff, like those catch up to you. And even though they don't make a, like a huge difference in kind of the acute, they do make a huge difference in kind of the long-term play when we look at health overall, right? So my big focus with everything was trying to get everyone to connect back to, let's go shop again for our food, right? Getting back to maybe focusing on farmer market, right? Going back and shopping local and talking to farmers around you and talking to the people that actually grow food and get food from local places. Not only do I like the concept of supporting local, obviously, as a small business owner, but also when you look at food, it's an easy way to connect back when you're actually shopping local for those things. Now, that being said, I don't go to the farmer's market that often either. So if you're going to a grocery store, it's cool. Same thing. Getting produce is going to be majority of those things. When it comes to animal protein, here's one thing that I will tell you is kind of a little hack. I personally um, have been using ButcherBox, uh, Force of Nature, and White Oak Pastures. These are three companies that I like to use for animal meats. And you can get literally nose to tell anything from these people and their monthly deliveries, right? So they show up in literally a, just like a dry ice box. So it's already frozen and I get a monthly delivery. It costs me a few hundred bucks and I throw it in the freezer. It's the easiest way to keep animal protein on me. So I know I'm never going to be short on protein a and B when it comes to shopping all the time, the thing that is kind of a pain in the ass is feeling like you always have to go shopping. So things that I like to shop in bulk for are meats, right? Because meats are an easy thing to stock up on because you just throw them in the freezer. The things that do get old fast are going to be your produce, right? So your fruits and vegetables are things that you need to be having fresher. Um, so when it comes to just shopping overall, one thing that I would suggest pretty much for everybody and something that I've done is just get, go through these companies and order monthly deliveries of these things because then you can always have it stockpiled in the freezer, Right. And then when you're going to the grocery store or the farmer's market, you're only shopping for a couple things, right? You're shopping for your vegetables and you're shopping for your fruits, right? The only thing when it comes to like packaged foods, so part of the challenge was trying to remove all foods that have barcodes or in bags or in boxes um, besides kind of a couple things like rice was something that I allowed as like an, what an easy digestible carb. Um, some fats obviously are still still in containers. So when you look at butter or olive oil or, you know, herbs and spices, those kind of things. But for the most part, when we think about the concept, just kind of shopping around in a perimeter, that's going to be kind of the overarching goal of what we're talking about here. So if we can keep the primary focus built around these foods, it's really, really hard to just screw up the diet in that place. So that's kind of my just foundation of everything that I come back to when I talk about this challenge, right? And then some of the other details that we kind of built into it and some of the things that we went into a little bit more, and I'm not going to get too deep today on talking about those things, is kind of how you're eating and when you're eating, right? When you're eating is more talking about these fasting windows, talking about eating more meals versus snacks. Um, and, you know, the reason why is we need to remember this is when your body eats, especially when it comes to carbohydrates, um, certain foods have different responses. Your blood sugar is going to go up, right? And one of the things I've noticed from testing my blood sugar over the last couple of months is when your blood sugar goes up, you need to remember this. When blood sugar goes up, insulin is going to go up, right? Because insulin is the hormone that takes the sugar out of the blood, throws it into the liver, throws it into the muscle. Um, if you are somebody that's healthy and insulin sensitive, it's okay when you have something that's carb rich in the middle of the day or whatever time of day it is, obviously. Um, well, I'll get into that in a second. Um, because your body will take the sugar out of the blood because sugar in the blood is very toxic, right? But the thing that we need to remember is insulin, when it is high, kind of halts all the fat burning processes, right? 
So if you're someone that's always having carbs and sugars and processed refined foods, you're naturally going to have higher blood sugar and higher insulin levels, right? Or if you're someone that's always eating all the time, you're someone that's eating four, five, six, seven times a day, your blood sugar and your insulin is also going to be a little bit elevated throughout the day. So if the goal for you is fat loss, let's focus more on meals, not snacking all the time, right? You know, so the first thing that we kind of put into the protocol is let's focus on three solid meals a day. For some people, even two solid meals a day. And not having snacks in between, right? Obviously, coffee, tea by itself or water, that's fine. But not really having any snacks in between. And why is because we want to mitigate how often these spikes are happening. Second thing to kind of follow up between the meals versus snacks thing is then putting a window in from when you're eating. So I think we put a nine-hour window. We said from 10 to 7, those are the hours that you can eat. Right. And what this does is from 7 p.m. to all the way to 10 a.m. the next day, your body's going through a fasting period. When your body goes through fasting periods, it has to find energy from different places. So what it's eventually going to do as we become more metabolically flexible is it's going to learn how to use stored fat as an energy source. Right. Versus people that are metabolically inflexible. Right. Or borderline insulin resistant or insulin resistant already. Their body is very dependent on glucose as the energy source. So they never know how to tap into fat. So it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. If you want to burn fat, you got to learn how to tap into it. And learning how to tap into it requires giving your body enough time away from these shitty foods and giving your body enough away from food period in general, because these fasting periods and these periods between your meals allow your body to do the metabolic processes that it needs to do by itself organically. And it begins to tap into this fat burning process. So when we think about metabolic flexibility, and this is kind of my big overarching goal too for people, is metabolic flexibility is kind of like being a hybrid. You can use gas, you can use your battery, right? We want to be able to use carbs when we're fed them, but we also want to be able to use fat when we're not having any food or carbs in the system as well. Someone that's metabolically inflexible, like I just said, is very dependent on the carbs. They don't eat for a couple hours and they're hangry and they're cranky and they need carbs, they need caffeine. That's a perfect definition to test for yourself. If you're someone that can't go a few hours without eating, you're definitely metabolically inflexible. As a human, biologically, we've gone periods and long periods of time without food, right? Feast and famine are cycles that the human body was naturally going through forever. So now, when you think about people always being told breakfast, lunch, and dinner, two snacks, coffee cup, frappuccino, and not like, dude, it's all screwed up and everyone's eating all day long. It's no wonder your body can never tap into fat because you're always giving it a little bit of something. So it's always using the fuel and the energy that it's getting from there. So one of the things that we put into the structure is let's focus on meals. And let's focus on giving yourself a little bit of a structure and a window to the timing of those eating hours, right? And that allows us to have these kind of built-in fasting structure or cycles that allows us to have time to still get the nutrients that we need from the meals. And the goal when you think about fasting that I, one of the things more importantly that I think people screw up is just because you're doing intermittent fasting or some type of fasting window does not mean that you have a free-for-all and whatever the hell you want to eat when you're due eating. You really, really need to focus on nourishment because there's kind of two things that I see. Number one, just like I said, is people eat whatever they want when they are eating. But number two is they're also malnourished. Just because you have a fasting window doesn't mean the actual nutrient density or the actual caloric density changes. It's still going to be the same thing. It's just going to be crammed into a different window. So if you're normally eating breakfast at 8 a.m. and you're having dinner at 8 p.m., that's a 12-hour eating window technically from start to finish. If I do it from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., that's going to be a different window. That's a nine-hour window, right? Same calories, same meals, same composition. We're just smashing it into a smaller window, right? So those are two things with fasting you really want to pay attention to. Um, and second thing we really wanted to get people to is to focus on how we eat 
in how we mitigate some of these fat loss and blood sugar and all these other kind of benefits that we can for long-term weight loss and health benefits. So when we think about how we're eating, number one is sitting down, right? Like I was trying to say this in the masterclass, like let's make it popular again where families eat together. There is no technology at the dinner table. We eat, we enjoy our time together. Um, eating and really kind of being in a de-stress state is one of the most important things you can do for eating and digestive health. Because when your body is in this sympathetic state, stressed out, or it's on the go, or you're just stressed out from the day, your digestive, uh, your gut itself, it's not going to work that well. And the reason why is it's pulling blood out of the gut and it's putting it into the muscle because your body's trying to fight the stress. And remember this, I've said this in multiple podcasts, your body has no idea if stress is coming from being chased by a mountain lion or your wife is yelling at you or your boss hates you. But like, you don't know the difference, right? Your body is just stressed. So one of the things that I always like to tell people is sit down, take a few deep breaths if you needed to, if you're really kind of feeling stressed out. You know, some people like to say prayer, some pup, some people like to do breath work, but just put yourself in kind of more of a relaxed state when you're eating. Do not be eating in the car, do not be eating on the go. Like take the opportunity to say, hey, I'm only eating three times a day. So take those, you know, whatever it takes you to eat, 10, 20, 30 minutes. Take that time to sit down, relax, and eat. Second thing is chew your food, right? Don't just like eat like my dog does, right? Like take the opportunity that with every single bite that you put into your mouth, you take 15, 20, and 25, 30 bites. Think about like the, the analogy that I use is like you're drinking your food. This helps your digestive system become more, you know, it optimizes the whole digestive process in general, right? So it's a great way for us to kind of slow down, prevent overeating, and help the digestive process itself, right? Eating should be something that we try to eat to 80% full. So if you're eating super fast and you're kind of eating like my dog does, like you're probably going to end up overeating. Right. So slowing it down and chewing more and taking those kind of time in between your bites and breaths in between your bites. Super, super important. Right. Because these are going to be little things that just like little hacks that we don't think about that make a huge difference. Next one is how you eat your plate. Always eat protein, fiber, fat first. Right. So if I have last night, I think we did. Uh, what do we do? We did scallops, broccoli and potatoes. Potatoes, still technically a fibrous food, still, but it's more starchy, obviously, than broccoli. So I ate pretty much all of my broccoli and my scallops first, and then I had my potatoes last, right? What this does is, A, it helps you get the good foods in first, because most of us would eat rice or pasta or the breads first and get full on, full on that. But second thing is it also mitigates blood sugar. That's one thing that I tested a lot when I was eating is I would eat rice first and then my protein and my fast, and then I would eat my proteins and my fat the next meal the next day, and it would be a completely different response on how my blood sugar was. And we want to mitigate blood sugar as much as possible. Right? I'm not going to get into too much details. I made a separate podcast on that. But eating your protein, your fat, and your fiber first, and then your carbohydrates, whatever it might be. So if it's your fruit or if it's your starchy vegetables or if it's your rice or if it's your bread or if it's your dessert, if you're out at a restaurant, whatever it might be easy little hack that we can do to kind of help mitigate some of that blood sugar. So these are things that we don't think about. It's like, okay, we'll sit down. Cool. Easy enough. No technology. Be in kind of a relaxed state when you're eating. Chew more of every single bite of food that you put into your body, right? Eat your protein, fat, and fiber first, and then your carbohydrates, right? These are the little hacks that we really kind of try to put in that make a big difference when you think about weight loss and health, right? So just to kind of wrap everything up, because I'm trying to make this as kind of quick as I can to make this more of a SparkNuts version without going kind of too deep in the weeds, um, is when we look at weight loss, we look at kind of building metabolic flexibility in the bottom, uh, the body, fasting windows, meals versus snacks, how you eat is important, shopping, prepping, and cooking more of your own food. 
Um, those are kind of the overarching principles, right? The last thing that I kind of want to wrap up with everything is just the, the little things on top of it that you can add. So one of the things that I added on it was like trying to bring back to 10,000 steps a day. Walking is the most underrated fat loss and health loss and stress management tool in the world, right? The more we can walk, the more we can have kind of a baseline slow movement built into the day, the better everything I was talking about is going to work, right? So that's going to be a big one. Second thing is water. Water is one of those other super easy things that most people are just under on by a lot. So drinking a lot of water throughout the day is going to be one of those easy ways to kind of mitigate hunger. Um, and it's an easy way. And for me, when it comes to water, I use sparkling water and mineral water and obviously the water here from the gym at Flow Water. Um, the sparkling mineral water for me kind of curbs those cravings sometimes when you do get them. Like the two things I always like to tell people if you do have kind of a strong appetite and you are trying to work on reducing some of those areas caffeine like coffee and tea and then sparkling water are kind of my two go-tos for sure right now that being said since i'm on the caffeine story the first week um and i'm on day four now i think right of no caffeine i didn't do the no alcohol part because obviously we're not that good in our family with that or our household um but that's just kind of a good way to kind of reset the body when it comes to caffeine and alcohol the one thing i will tell you is when it comes to caffeine for those that did do the challenge and are going no caffeine the first week hats off to you um starting monday caffeine comes back in the routine trying to have caffeine from nine to two anything after two could be affecting your sleep just because of the eight hour half-life and anything before nine your cortisol is still pretty high in the morning so giving your body you know an hour and a half two and a half hours to really let the cortisol to come back to a you know not a not baseline, but come down a little bit more because caffeine is a stimulant and it is going to be something that's going to drive up more stress response. So if you have high, uh, cortisol, which is a stress hormone high, and you're putting a lot of caffeine in the system at the same time, you're kind of doubling up. So one of the things that we put in there for a structure is like, hey, caffeine only from 9 to 2 p.m. That's the goal, right? Alcohol, minimize it as much as possible. If you are having alcohol, a glass or two of red wine, cool, good. You get some health benefits of the polyphenols versus veritrol. Um, if you are doing drinks, hard drinks, you're going to be like clear, like vodka, gin, and things like that. Maybe a better choice. Um, alcohol is just one of those things. It's kind of like sugar. It's like, yeah, you want to try to remove it as much as possible. But for me, I'll speak out of my own kind of shoes here. It's a hard thing for me to remove. It's just something that me and my girlfriend love to have as dinner pretty much every night. But if I only have two glasses of red wine a night, I'm okay. I still sleep okay. Everything's fine. My energy's good. Uh, when I get anything past that mark, that's where I start to kind of have sleep gets affected and all the other stuff. Um, and that's the last thing I want to talk about today is just remember that stress and sleep are the foundation of a good diet and a good training protocol. So everything that I talked about today and everything that I've talked about in the past when it comes to training and your nutrition will be almost useless if you have horrible stress management and your sleep sucks, right? If you're not sleeping well and you're super stressed out all the time, your body's in this sympathetic state and you're literally like spinning your wheels. You're not going anywhere. You can work as hard as you want on a diet, hard as you want on a training protocol, Ideally, we want to look at the baseline stuff, right? All right, guys. Well, I'm trying not to talk too much today, so I hope you guys got something to take away from that as always. And for that, have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you guys next week.